This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Many of us use the GPS on our phones or in our cars, and we trust that it will get us to our destination. We simply listen and follow. My guest says that when it comes to our life, we must learn to trust our inner guidance, our inner Siri. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and I'm excited to introduce to you Coot Blackson, who believes that life is always giving us clues to living our best life. We just need to pay attention. Coot, welcome to my podcast. Thanks for having me. Coot is a transformational teacher and a best-selling author. And Coot, your most recent book is The Magic of Surrender, Finding the Courage to Let Go. And as I just mentioned before we started recording today, that I sat down on a Saturday afternoon, I read it in one fell swoop, I couldn't put it down, I absolutely loved it. And in it, you write that we all have an innate GPS. No, maybe not the traffic patterns, but something that can help guide our life. Have we just stopped listening to our inner GPS and why? Yeah, I don't know if it's intentional, but I would say we have disconnected from it in some way. We've lost touch with it in some way. It's always there. It's always available. I think that at the deepest level, there's a part of us that knows everything because at that deepest level, we are connected to everything. As children, we are whole, perfect, and complete. We're born in touch with our intuition. A child is in in tune with their own nature. A child is in touch with their essence. They're radiating, they're just being. But we lose touch with that essence. A child will cry when it's, you know, hungry. It will poop when it feels like pooping. It will sing and jump on the table. It's not wondering. So a child is just in touch with their natural flow and beingness. But we're born into kind of a preset pattern of conditioning. Our parents, are they're just doing the best that they can do based on their conditioning and their parents and their grandparents. And maybe dad was an alcoholic. Maybe Mm -hmm. mom had mental health issues. Maybe they were fighting all the time. Maybe they were great, but they just didn't know how to meet our emotional needs. So we learned to shut down, disconnect, and not feel. That not feeling mechanism as a coping survival strategy to survive and deal with the pain and manage the dysfunction or whatever's going on around us that mechanism where we started to not feel begins to disconnect us with our deeper sense and capacity to tune into our GPS, tune into our intuition. So before you know it, all sorts of layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of unfelt feeling begin to build up and cover up our connection to our source, our connection to our intuition, our connection to our truth, our connection to our knowing. Our light gets hidden underneath all of these layers of unfelt pain, hurt, guilt, shame, trauma. Mm -hmm. Then we learn a way of being to go into the world in order to get love and validation and approval. Mm -hmm. We betray parts of ourselves, which is, again, a a way of not feeling our deepest truth. We betray parts of ourselves in order to get love and validation and approval. Who do I need to be in order to be loved? And by my parents. For me, I thought I needed to be the perfect son, the good one, the responsible one, the one that got all A's. We end up sort of locked into a pattern, a shape of conditioning that we think is who we are but it's not who we really Mm -hmm. are. Now we're living inside of this prison of a persona, an identity. We wonder, why am I not in touch with my feelings? So we have to first realize we're conditioned. And the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free to be who we are, the degree to which we're not free to feel Mm -hmm. what's authentic and what's not. In the book, you also talk about surrender 
is an invitation to take all the limits off of life itself, that we have to let go in order for the magic to happen. In other words, we have to get out of our own way, which sometimes is really hard to do. That feels like letting go of control, Coot. So what's the difference between surrender and letting go of control? Is there a difference? Well, surrender is a form of letting go of control. Yes. We've learned to become this person, this identity, Mm -hmm. this set of patterns. We'll call it ego. And life society has conditioned us to believe we are this ego structure. I'm Liz and I'm cool. And you often hear people say, no, this is just who I am. I'm just shy. I'm just quiet. I'm just loud. I'm just independent. But it's who we are, who we really are, or is it who we've been conditioned to be? Yes. The ego's job is to protect us and make sure we never feel pain and hurt again, like we were hurt when we were five. And so part of the Mm. ego strategy is if I can control everything, everything around me, (laughs) my feelings, your feelings, how you perceive me, whether you like me or not, then I'll never get hurt again. Right. And so now we go through life in this kind of control mechanism, thinking that's who we are, but it's not. If we can understand what ego is, that it's not what we really are. It's a pattern of conditioning. If we can understand that ego is not good or bad, the job of the ego is to control. The ego wants to change everything and everyone, but never wants to change (laughs) because it's security (laughs) and survival. We want our parents to change. We want our spouse to change. We want the president to change, but we don't want to change. Of course not. (laughs) And if we can understand that, oh, the drive of holding on and not surrendering and why surrender seems so scary and why letting go of control seems so scary because there's a fear of, if I let go of control, I'm going to feel helpless again. And so that that holding on, that way of resisting life and the flow and being open to new possibilities and the adventure and the unknown, there's a good intention. It's survival. And if, if we can realize underneath that is fear, then we can learn to not judge ourselves or force ourselves, but to start relating to ourselves and that scared part of ourself with compassion Mm -hmm. and loving and kindness. You know, that's that's where we can start. You had to find your own courage to quote unquote surrender. You were born in Ghana, raised in London. Your mother was Japanese and your father was a minister in Ghana. And he was famous for his healing powers. What did you witness of this? My first memories was seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She obviously couldn't walk and she picks up the sand that my father was walking on. He had no idea. Picks up the sand and stood up. Call it a miracle. So week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear. My father would look at a person, let's say, in a wheelchair and say, hey, why are you in this wheelchair? You're not sick. Stand up. But I haven't walked in 10 years. Do you believe? Yes. If you believe, then why are you sitting down? Boom. They would stand up. A person would come in with crutches They hadn't walked in, let's say, five years. And he would say, throw your crutches away. But I can't walk. Back and forth, back and forth. Mm -hmm. Throw the crutches away. person would come in, they weren't able to see in one eye. He put his hands on them. And so week after week, I grew up seeing these miracles. I'll be honest, I didn't think anything that extraordinary about it, (laughs) primarily because that's all I saw. You know, and a lot of people say, oh, did that really happen? Number one, I saw it with my own eyes. Every day, without cameras and social media. Number two, people say, wow, that sounds so amazing. Like, a miracle's real. And I say, a miracle's real? If you want to see a miracle, (laughs) just look in the mirror. Every day, there are trillions of cells right now interacting just for us to be able to have this conversation. 
even as we have this conversation, folks listening into this podcast, you've been breathing, I've been breathing, breath has been happening. Mm -hmm. How is that happening? It's something is breathing, something is mm -hmm. functioning, something is living. We eat food, the food digests, it turns into our liver and colon, hair and eyes. And just this biological mechanism that we are is in and of itself a profound miracle Mm -hmm. We're paying attention. And so I just say, let's start with looking at ourselves, looking at our body. That's one. And feeling and acknowledging the reality of what this is. We are a living, breathing miracle. Number two, just look at life. I'm looking outside and I'm seeing green trees. I'm seeing a sky. I'm seeing clouds. And so I think the more we can bring our attention to the miracles that already exist in everyday life mm -hmm. that we take for granted. Because the moment you can't breathe and you're about to die, that breath is a miracle. And so I think we, <laughs> if we can bring our attention then and feel the gratitude yes. and live in that gratitude, I think we make ourselves more available to more blessings in life. Miracles are everywhere. I agree. You talked a moment ago about conditioning. And at five, you talk about in your book that you knew you had a purpose of service. By eight, you were giving your first sermon. By mm. 14, you were an ordained minister. And in some respects, there might have been an expectation that you would follow in your father's footsteps. Didn't that feel like a weight at the time? I would even say it wasn't even might have been an expectation. There was, there was <laughs> You had no choice, for, basically. There was no choice. Look, my father's way was like, he's old school African. So it's like, let me give you a choice. You can choose my way or you can choose my way. Like, which way would you like? <laughs> my life was set out for me. Mm -hmm. Yes, I wanted to help people. I felt a deep calling, like I was a very empathetic kid. I would feel people suffering deeply and I wanted to alleviate suffering, but I didn't know exactly what that would look like. When I started speaking at age eight, there was a gift that kind of came through that was beyond my conscious comprehension. But at 14, my father announces to the congregation, my son is taking over my ministry. He's my successor in front of everybody. He hadn't spoken to me. We didn't talk about this. It just happened. That's my father's style. When it was announced, I knew as a feeling in my gut, this was not right. This mm -hmm. was not my path. My life was carved out. Everyone had their hopes and dreams. My father planned my life. Now there were literally hundreds of thousands of people in Ghana and a few thousand people, like let's say 5,000 people in London that had the expectations of me. So there was a tremendous amount of responsibility and pressure that I felt. So I didn't have the courage at 14 to tell my truth, to speak my truth. I didn't have the courage to tell my father, this isn't my path, because my fear was, if I told my truth, if I speak my truth, then I'll lose his love. Mm. Then I'll be alone. And I think so many of us as human beings, there's a fear that we have, like, if you know who I really am, you won't love me. So we hide ourselves. We don't share our gifts with the world. We don't put our podcasts and our creativity and our work out there because you might judge me and you won't love right. me. This is how I felt at 14. And yeah. so for four years, I said nothing. And I went through a tremendous feeling of pressure and turmoil and confusion and frustration and depression and questioning, to be honest. And it was only when I turned 18 that I looked into my future and I felt this calling to come to America. And I, and I wanted to go into this field of self-help because I started reading all, all of the self-help books on my father's bookshelf. And all of the authors lived in Southern California, you know, <laughs> Louise Hay and Marianne Williamson and Deepak Chopra and Wayne Dyer, and the list goes on. I'm like, that's the place. Yet, my soul was calling me in this direction, but the expectation was pulling me in this direction. And I felt, 
I looked into my future and I saw I could follow the expected path mm -hmm. and I could be successful at this path. But if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my integrity, the level of self-betrayal felt so painful. Yeah. The pain was so deep that I felt it to be a soul suicide. And it was because I felt such a pain when I projected into that path, the feeling of if I lie to myself now, I'm going to have to live a lie for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And that feeling was so, it was so painful that it, it basically left me no alternative. And I knew what I had to do, which was have that conversation with my father and leave everything behind. Wow. And you did. You came to America with only two suitcases. You thought you were destined to be the next Oprah. And you had a radio show, you produced a pilot, you led a number of seminars, but it kind of wasn't really coming together the way that you had envisioned. And in some respects, you thought your American dream was over. You put your things in storage, you decide to go to India, and that trip changed your life. What happened? I was getting so much rejection. I was knocking on doors. I tracked down Steven Spielberg in a park. You know, I tracked down Hollywood agents. And I was getting laughed out of rooms and yeah. kicked out of offices. This is what was the icing on the cake because I, I met these managers. These managers managed Michael Jackson, Mariah Carey, Jay Lowe, Leonardo DiCaprio. And finally, these guys offered to manage me. And they said, we're going to make you huge. We're going to make you the next Ricky Lake, the next what have you. And I was so excited. And I always followed my soul's guidance. And I went home and I meditated. On, they gave me a contract, management contract, come back tomorrow. And everything in my soul said, no, mm. don't do it. This is not a line. That same feeling that brought me to America was the same feeling that said no. And I had this feeling like, uh-oh, if I don't follow this feeling, things aren't going to go too well. And I told them no. They went ballistic. And that really made me feel so frustrated because my ego wanted to do it. But my soul was clearly guiding me in another direction. Yeah. That frustration and that internal conflict is what blew me up inside sped my journey where I said, screw this, I'm leaving everything behind. Yeah, I don't know what to do with my life anymore because I, th I thought I knew what I wanted to happen. It didn't happen, but it, then it happened. And now I, I don't feel the guidance to do it. And that's what took me to India. And I went to India, shaved my head, broke up with my girlfriend, had to put everything in storage. <laughs> and I said, I'm not coming back to the West until I find certain answers for myself. I'm tired of reading. I'm tired of studying other people's stuff. I want to know the truth like Gandhi knew the truth, like Jesus knew the truth. I want to know the truth like Mandela knew. I want to know it for myself, what my purpose is and what real happiness is, what real fulfillment is. I said, I'm not going to come back to America until I find certain answers. And so when I went to India, I began traveling to temples and monasteries, meeting with enlightened mystics and climbing the Himalayas. And the Himalayas literally almost died in the Himalayas in search of answers. But I had so many experiences in India that shook my ego sense of control to the core. And India has a way of showing mm -hmm. you that you are not in control of life. And it was like my ego cracked open and I was forced to kind of surrender myself to say, okay, life, I don't know what you want with me. I have tried to manifest my life in the way I think it was going to be. Yes. I have reached the end of my own ego's capacity to make it happen. Show me like what I'm here to do. Yeah. It was through that process that I felt like I healed so much. And I realized that many of my goals were really projections of unmet needs from my childhood. Mm. Like I thought if I could be famous and I could be on TV, then I'm going to be loved. Like right. I wasn't loved, you know, and I'm going to be accepted. And 
So as I healed that, I came back. I really felt an inspiration to come back to the West, come back to LA and started helping people. I felt such a sense of freedom that wasn't based on fame or money. Mm -hmm. And I developed my own way of coaching people that I called uncoaching people, unconditioning people. Mm -hmm. And then people started coming from around the world and things just exploded and expanded. Well, before we talk about how you're helping people, I do want to share one story because there was one in the book that really touched me and I loved it. it. It's when you're in India and you met the man who was considered an enlightened teacher who says to you, you are mad at God. That is good. <laughs> what did he mean? <laughs> yeah, I think he said I was mad at God because, you know, it was like my life wasn't turning out the way I thought it should be. The experience of what I thought I should be and the idea of who I thought I was going to be, this next Oprah, wasn't manifesting. I felt like I was being cheated by life. I got this vision to impact people. I've seen a vision of impacting people since I was a child, and now it's not happening. And that's when I began to surrender, really, yes. in India. And the reason he said it's good is he just wanted me to get it out. He wanted me to <sighs> acknowledge these feelings and not suppress it and pretend everything was fine. Meanwhile, simmer inside. And acknowledging one's feelings is part of the process of surrendering. Mm -hmm. you, know, you can't truly let go if you're not acknowledging what you're holding on to. If you're like, everything is fine, but you're really mad inside, how do you let go of the anger if you're not even acknowledging that you're angry? Right. And how do you really move to the next phase of openness if, you, if you're not letting go of that anger? And so I think that was a beautiful thing. He said, it's like, great, acknowledge that, feel that, right. embrace that, so that you can become conscious of it and let it go. There's so many misconceptions we have about surrender, that if you surrender, surrender is weak, surrender is passive, that you're going to get left behind, you're going to be a doormat, you're going to not manifest your goals, dreams, and desires, you're going to get less in life. And this was my fear, like if I surrender, I'm going to be homeless, clean the streets, and what am, I, what am I going to do with my life? What I realized that I wanted to ask people is, if you surrender, what if you didn't get less, but you got more? More than you could conceptualize and visualize with your ego's Mm -hmm. capacity to imagine what's possible. Part of surrender is a letting go who you think you should be and how you think your life is going to be so that you can take the limits off of life and you can be truly open and available to the life that is seeking to happen. I wasn't open and available. I was so attached in an agenda to like, my life has to look like this. It can't yeah. look any other way. I've got to have a TV show. It's got to be like this. And the fact is there was maybe a bigger unfolding, a bigger plan that when I took my grip off of life, I was able to embrace. Mm -hmm. And sometimes things not happening, your goal not manifesting is a blessing, is grace. But when it doesn't happen, often we're not able to see the blessing in the moment from the ego's perspective. And we think it's the worst thing, but sometimes it's the best thing. Mm -hmm. Had I got on a TV show at the age of, let's say, 19, 20, 21 years old, I probably was not psychologically, developmentally ready to handle that. Mm -hmm. It probably, if I'm honest, would have imploded. Mm. You know, where do you go after that? And so I think because I didn't, it forced me to India. It took me so deep on a quest of spiritual, mental, emotional healing that I wouldn't have gone as deep had I gone in a different direction and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now at the level I'm doing it. Well, now you clearly have crossed over to another world, I want to say, because you're helping so many people, some of whom are the wealthiest people in the world, 
And you are truly helping them and you're freeing them from many of those false belief systems of looking outside of themselves for happiness. You know, you do have a huge social media following, and I wanted to touch on that a moment because I think oftentimes in today's world, we are placing our own value, if you will, Mm -hmm. from our likes and from our followers. And that, to me, is so off base, and yet we get sucked into that feeling. How do you maintain your composure with all the thousands and thousands and thousands of followers that you have? You know, I just think we have to know who we are. Yes. And I think that was the blessing, to be honest of not getting what I want mm-hmm. and not succeeding. Because being broke, being homeless, having no money, no nothing at that point, sitting in a room just on the floor because I couldn't afford furniture. I mean, all of these things, at least for me, forced me to go inside and question my self-worth, mm-hmm. question like, who am I? Mm-hmm. And, and is my worth based on $20 in my bank account? You know, is my worth based on the fact that I have nothing to show for my life in that moment? And I think in that time, I really started to understand, especially when I went to India, like who I really am, mm-hmm. that I'm not this body. I'm not this personality called Coot. I'm not this physical form, that what I am is an infinite being. What I am is a soul. What I am is whole, perfect, and complete. What I am is a spirit. What I am is pure consciousness. And I think the knowing of who we are is what real freedom is. What people think about you, what people think about me, actually reveals more about them than it does about you. And and I learned that the hard way because when people first began, when I first started making some videos way back, people began liking it. Oh, you're amazing. And then I'd make some great videos and some people were like, this is terrible. (laughs) So then I started to realize, wow, I think they're both great. and, And some people liked it and some people don't. I always say, unhook yourself from people's negative opinions. Mm -hmm. But the real key to freedom is to unhook yourself also from people's positive opinion, because that also has nothing to do about you. That really is their own projection. People are seeing you from the lens of their own ego's conditioning. And the you that they see ultimately isn't personal. (laughs) It's more about their own level of conditioning, consciousness. So don't take it personally, Mm -hmm. the good or the bad. People say, you're the greatest. Don't take it personally because (laughs) they're just seeing something that they want to see within themselves. And I learned, if anything, to do my best to not get people hooked to me as a personality, to really stay focused on my job as a teacher is to point people to themselves. What do you struggle with though, Coot? What do you struggle with on a day-to-day basis? Because we all have our struggles. I think one of the things I've struggled with is growing up as a only child, being sort of the, the responsible one for everybody, being the responsible one that took care of my mother and my father wasn't around. So I became very hyper-independent. So one of my struggles has always been allowing myself to be supported, allowing people to help me. So I like never asking for help. I can do it myself. I don't need help. I don't need anyone. I don't need you. And part of that has always been because, well, no one was really there. So I don't want to rely on anyone because I don't want to get disappointed to really let people help me, to my friends even, to let people support me, to let people be there for me mm-hmm. has been a struggle to be honest. So that's something uh, I'm a work in progress to just let people be there and support me and help me. 
You may not know this, but we are both PKs. You're a preacher's kid, as am I. And you talk a moment ago about, you know, being the good boy, the responsible one, the perfect son, and you managed to figure out through this lifetime thus far about how to let go of some of that. So I'm curious, Coot, what is your vision now of living your best life? Wow, my vision at this point is to be the most authentic version of myself possible. There are some goals that I feel. I'll be honest, it's less my vision. For me, the question is more, what is it that the divine wants to express through me? What is it that the universe wants to express through me? What is the deepest impulse of what my soul is seeking to manifest and express? It's more about living in alignment with that deepest expression. And so my prayer, my intention more than anything is more like universe, God, whatever we want to call it, use me, use me in the highest way possible. Because many times there's ways I thought it was going to be and it wasn't. I'll give you an example. The Magic of Surrender book. This was not the book I thought I was going to write. (laughs) Ku had all sorts of ideas of the book I thought I was going to write, the book I wanted to write, the book I thought would be a bestseller, the book I thought my clients and audience would want, the book I thought publishers would want. It was none of those. And so more and more, I am living my own book, basically, you know, living the teaching that I'm guided to share in surrender and saying, okay, universe, I am fully open and available to life. Use me in the highest way possible, and I'll do my best to take responsibility to feel what that is, to attune with what that is and the direction I feel while staying open. But it's, I just want to be used at the highest level to impact as many people on the planet and inspire people to remember who they really are and share their gifts with the world. You know, that's, that's the essence. 100% agree. <laughs> if you would like to learn more about Coot and his new book, The Magic of Surrender, just go to his website, kootblackson.com. That's K-U-T-E, Blackson, B-L-A-C-K-S-O-N.com. Coot, truly a pleasure to be with you today. And I appreciate you sharing your story with us and showing us how we can all awaken to not only our full potential, but our purpose as well. And thanks to all of you for listening. I invite you to write a review and share this episode. We are all in the classroom of life and living our best life is within all of us if we are willing to respond to the call. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self. Check out fasttwitchmedia.space.